0: Welcome to Cross Point. It is Sunday, which also means the Titans are playing today, and today the Titans will have a hype video. Playing at the stadium, but it's got nothing on the video you just saw right there. that get you fired up for church. We are, uh, we are so glad that you're here, that you're a part of what's going on. And that voice in that video is Pastor Justin Johnson, who is down at our Franklin campus. He's a campus pastor, and he turned 40 this week. And uh, I didn't promise him that I wouldn't tell you that, so I'm going to tell you that. So happy birthday, Pastor Justin. But we are uh, we're fired up and excited about this series. We're loving this series because it's a reminder of who we are and what we're called to be as a church. That we're a church to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. And we're using this as a time to remind ourselves of of our why, because what we're not, if we're not driving toward that, then we're drifting from that. And so we're moving toward this mission that Jesus has called us to. It's in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter chapter 28. It's the final command. It's the last command. And we're talking about how do we make this last command from Jesus our first priority. I want to read to you from the uh, International Standard Version today. Verse 18, Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. That's the final verse in Matthew's gospel. This is Jesus looking at the disciples. He's like, here's the oars, boys. We're rowing toward the Titanic. The ship is going down, and we're the ones who are moving toward the, the Titanic, toward those who are drowning in despair and brokenness and lostness, those who are hopeless and those who are helpless. We're the ones who are moving toward them to extend, extend the love of God and the hope of God and the grace of God and the help to, to help them. And so I want you to go look for those who are sinking, and I want you to look for those who are working overtime to make it look like they've got it all together. They need hope too, because every person needs the hope of Jesus. And so he's telling them, we're, he's commissioning them out, this, this last command of Jesus, our first priority. And I think sometimes we take the great commission, and it becomes the great omission because we, because we overcomplicate it. I want you to imagine with me, this didn't happen, but imagine that it did, that, that my wife Rhea and I, that we went down to Birmingham to see our daughter who's in school down there at Sanford, Sam, not Stan, not Stanford, but Sanford. And imagine that we were going down to, down to Birmingham and we're, we left our, our boys at home, 14 and 16. And when we were leaving the house, imagine that I say to them, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to, to pull all the weeds in the front flower bed. Before I get back, before we get back, I want you to pull all the weeds, and this is more of a confession that I do have weeds in the flower bed, but I want you you to pull all those weeds before we get back. And imagine we go down to Birmingham overnight and we have a great time and then we we come back, you need to stop judging us that we went to Birmingham. I said, imagine that this story's going on that we left the boys at home. And so imagine the story. We get back, we get back home, and where when we pull in the driveway, where's the first place that I look? The flower bed. What do I want to know? Did they pull? You, some of you aren't even parents, and you already know. You know what we are. I'm wondering, did you pull the weeds? Now, imagine that the weeds, look, they look exactly like they did when I left. Imagine there are even more weeds that have popped up. And so what would I do? I go in the house. I open up the door, and I said, boys, I said, come on down. We got a conversation to have. And I would have them look at the weeds. And imagine that I said, look at this. What was the last? What did I tell you before I left? And imagine the boys said, well, Dad, you told us. You told us to pull all the weeds in the flower bed before you got home. And they said, Dad, but we think think that was a good idea. In fact, Dad, we thought that was such a great idea that we went on Amazon and we ordered a book called The Art of Weed Pulling. And we got that book, and, and we got some friends from school, and we're going to make a book study. We're going to do a book study, and we're going to come together, and we're going to study how to pull weeds together. And Dad, you know what, Dad? We thought that was such a good thing, what you said, that Durham printed up these little, these little note cards with, with that, what you said, pull all the weeds in the flower bed before I get home. And we memorized it. Dad, we went and studied it in the original language. We know exactly what you meant. We did we did some study, Dad, We through AI. We went and we found out like where weed pulling actually started, the origin of weed pulling. dad. And, and, and Bolton's become, he's becoming an expert in weed pulling dad did you and bolton dad did you know that there are 3000 invasive species invasive weeds in the United States and 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 they know so much about weed pulling? dad we went and found an expert an expert in weed pulling and he's going to come over to the house and have dinner with us and tell us some of the latest techniques in the art of weed pulling yeah, but question is did you pull the weeds And I think sometimes when we talk about this this, this last command of Jesus, I want you to go make disciples, we can overcomplicate it. And what we've done in this series is hopefully simplified. And what it means to make disciples, it means to be a disciple, it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be be a follower of Jesus ourselves, to find and follow Jesus ourselves, and to help other people find Him and follow Him, to help other people take just one more step in their faith journey, is what it means to, to make disciples. And in the series, we've been, we've been looking, how do, we, how do we do that? And I want to point out a couple things today as we finish up the series. In verse 19, it says, as you go, make disciples. Did you see that? Therefore, as you go, as you go about your life, as you go to the store, as you go to the gym, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go, make disciples, as you go to a game. And what's happening in the series, I don't know if it's happening for you, but it's happening for me. It's, it's affecting the way I see people. It's changing the way I see people. I took the family a couple Sundays ago. Took them to the Titans game when they played the Chargers, and and these were our seats. This is where we were sitting. This was our view. Um, no, we were not in a blimp. Um, we were actually we we're in the Upper Bowl, and we're we're sitting there watching the game. And Ree and Bolton and I we went to the went to the game, and they got up to go go get a snack, and and they left, and I'm just sitting there, and I just had this I had this thought, God, what do you see? Like when you see when you see this, God. What do you see? And there was a scripture that came to mind. It's Psalm 24.1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And I was just looking out over the skyline, looking out over the city and going, Nashville belongs to God. The city belongs to God. Like this city belongs to him, Middle Tennessee belongs to God, it all belongs to him. Nissan Stadium, they might have their name on it, but it belongs to him. And then I started thinking about what it says, and all the people belong to him. It's like, God, how do you look at the stadium? I I was thinking, mine, 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 mine. When God looks, he just says, mine, mine. And when he looks at all the people, he sees people who belong, mine, 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 I think it was in a movie somewhere, but mine. And God says, all of these people belong to me. I was thinking the heart of God who loves people sent his son Jesus to redeem people, to help people know him. It's God's desire that every person would know him. You're not going to see one person today that Jesus didn't die for. That every person you see is somebody that Jesus gave his life for so that they would know him. God is transcendent. He is above it all. He is eminent in that he was closely involved in desires for every person to know him. Not just that they belong to him as the creator, he has the right to his creation, but that they would know him, intimately know him, have a relationship with the living God. And it's because of this that Jesus commissions us out to live a life on mission, that every, his desire is that everybody would know him, even Chargers fans. Some of you are going, even Bill's fans. Yes, even Bill's fans, that every person would know him. That's the heart of God. And it's for this reason that Jesus says, I want you to go, as you go, make disciples. He commissions us to live a life on mission. And this can be intimidating it can be intimidating to think that that is the call on our lives, and we can't do it on our own. That's why Jesus says, I'm giving, I'm giving you, I'm telling you that I have been given authority. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You read through the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us that Jesus has authority, 28 chapters, that he has authority over nature and over nations and over sickness and over, over suffering and over death and over disease and over the demonic, that Jesus has authority over everything. And so at the end, he's saying, all authority has been given to me. And when you're being sent, it matters who's sending you. That authority matters. And so he begins this great commission with authority. He finishes with presence. He says, and remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. When you're being sent on mission, it matters who's with you. Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. I'm with you each and every day. I love here, he says, and remember. Remember the promise of his presence. Why does he say remember? Because we can forget. Does anybody else struggle to forget things? I do all the time. Birthdays, phone numbers, names. I can forget stuff all the time. I forget. Does anybody ever forget like where they put their phone? Anybody forget where they put their keys? Anybody forget where they put their car? Will anybody forget where they put their car when they walk out to their car in the parking lot after church today? I hit the panic button on my little fob remote thing to find my car. I'm not panicking, I'm used to it. I can't, I can't. They say panic. I'm like, no, that's just Tuesday. That's what we do. We push that. Push that button, we forget stuff all the time. I forget where I put my coffee. I make a cup of coffee and I forget where I put it. So I make another cup of coffee. Now I'm double fisted. It's not an addiction, it's stewardship. I am, I'm being a steward of like two cups of coffee. I forget passwords, anybody forget passwords? I forget, half of our communication in marriage is, what was the password? Like, we are just trying to figure out what was the Amazon password, the Apple password, trying to figure out. And then I get in this crazy, where it's like, what was the password? And I'm putting it in, and then it comes time to make a, you know, I'm like, forget the password. I can't find the password. I forget the password. And then I go to put in the password, and I put in the password. It says, you can't use an old password. I was like, I couldn't remember the password. And I struggled to forget. And Jesus knows that we forget. It's why he says, Remember remember that my presence is with you. What's he talking about when he's talking about presence? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some really good news today. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the promise is, he says, I will send my Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, to dwell in you, to dwell in us. He was having a conversation with the disciples which reveals that his presence is personal. Look at John sixteen seven. And this is in the upper room right before the crucifixion. He says, however I'm telling you the truth, it's for your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When Jesus says helper, what's he talking He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's actually for your benefit. It's actually for your good. It's actually for your advantage that I leave you. Because if I leave you, then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And I'm sure the disciples are going, Jesus, what are you talking about? How is it actually for our advantage that you go away. How could it possibly be better? And here's why. Because if Jesus would have stayed, if Jesus would have stayed, it would have been one on 12. It would have been one on the world. It would have been one on the the stadium of, of people. And so Jesus is saying, it's not one on 12. Because I'm gonna go, now it can be one on one. See, now you can be as close through the spirit of God, you can be as close to God as you want to be through the work of Jesus on the cross, through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So now it's, not a, now it's not an issue of proximity or of population or of how many people there are. Now it's an issue of desire. He says, if you seek me, you will find me when you search, when you go with all of your heart. And so it's an invitation to know him one-on-one. So in the very same way that the disciples were able to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus, we're able to know him in that way through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you, dwells in you. Man, we forget this. We wake up in the morning and we forget that the Holy Spirit lives in us. That we take that, that first breath when we when we wake up, we take that first breath and we forget to the Holy Spirit. Just breathe right now. I don't have to tell you to do it, but like, but like if you just if you just breathe, you take a breath. Like the Holy Spirit is closer than that last breath you just took. The Spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus reminds us of this because we forget. And so you read through the Scriptures, if you do a study on the Holy Spirit, you find out, and I want to remind you who He is just in case you've forgotten, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. In John chapter 16, verse 7, it says the Spirit of God is the one who who comforts us and who convicts us. And Galatians tells us the Spirit that leads us. And John 14 tells us the Spirit that guides us. And, And John chapter 14 tells us the Spirit is our teacher. And tells us that he is, he is the one who reminds us of all truths, of what God has taught us. He's the one who encourages us and who he's our counselor. He's the one who counsels us. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who helps us know what we ought to pray. We don't know what to pray on our own, but the Holy Spirit helps us with that. The Holy Spirit leads us to the, to the thoughts of God and gives us, gives us the words to say. Have you ever like, not known what to say in a moment? Depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit promises he will give us the words to say. He is an advocate for us. He advocates for us. He transforms us. He changes us from the inside. He is he is powerful. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a force. He is a person and He leads us to freedom. And we forget these things. But this this good news that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now, I was was reading a passage this week in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I was thinking about this, that the the Spirit of God poured into our hearts. It's like the liquid love of God. That God's love is, have you ever felt empty? Have you ever prayed, God, would you fill me up with your, would you fill me with your Spirit? God, would you fill me with your spirit today? You can pray that prayer today. God, would you fill me up? And you're like, well, if we've received the Holy Spirit, why do we we have to pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit? And D.L. Moody, somebody asked him that. He said, because I leak. (laughs) I need, he said, I need, Ephesians talks about being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That throughout the day, we say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me again? And would you fill me again? And would you remember, God, God goes and he moves to where he's welcome, where he's wanted, where he's desired, where he's sought, that we would seek him and we would desire him. If you, if you notice water, it goes to the places of least resistance. The liquid love of God moves to the places where there's the least resistance, but the desire, and he said, God, I need you. God, would you fill me with your spirit? And then why do we ask for the filling of the Spirit? Because we can't be a disciple in our own strength and our own power. If we can't be a disciple in our own strength and our own power, we can't make disciples in our own strength and our own power. And so we say, Father, would you fill me? Maybe even your prayer today is, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? His Spirit, His presence is personal. And Jesus said, I'm with you each and every day, which means His presence is persistent. You know they're going to all start with peace. His presence is persistent. So his presence is personal and his presence is persistence. He says, I love how he says, every day. Every day. The Hebrew or the uh, the Greek word there is er day. (laughs) Every single day. Good days, bad days, and days when it seems like everything's working and days when it seems like nothing's working. Days when you feel like you're on top of the world and days when you feel like you're in a pit and you can't even get out of bed on days when a friend calls with good news and on days when you get the phone call that you never imagined and never wanted to hear, days when you feel prayed up and days when you haven't prayed at all, on days when you feel like you've done enough and days when you feel like you aren't enough, days when you make the team and days when you get cut from the team, days when you're crushing it and days when you feel like you've been crushed, days when you welcome life into the world and days when you say goodbye to someone you love. Days when you feel free and days when you're locked up. Days when you know exactly what to do and days when you feel lost and confused. Jesus says, my presence is persistent. It's with you all the time, every single day. He says, I'm giving you my presence. And we can forget, and that's why Jesus reminds us that he's with us every single day. I don't know about you, but I can forget about God when things are going good. And then I can think that God has forgotten about me when things are going bad. And Jesus reminds, I'm with you every single day. His presence in your life is not contingent upon your circumstances. That regardless what's going on around you, his spirit lives within you. His presence is persistent. Then he gives us a promise of his presence. His promise is that his presence is productive. It's productive. It's only through his presence that we accomplish and we fulfill this mission. It's only through his presence that we're changed, that we're transformed. That's the only way that we experience change and transformation. Everything else is behavior modification. But he wants to do the work in our life to bring about the transformation. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, maybe you've wondered, how do we actually change in life? We're gonna begin a brand new series next week where we're gonna look at how we experience change and transformation in our lives. And it's by the work of His Spirit. He does not just give us His presence so that we can feel better about ourselves. He gives us His presence so that we can give ourselves away, so that we can love others, so that we can be made more like Christ. There's this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this idea. He's prepared good works in advance for us to do, in the way like a quarterback drops back and he throws on the go route and just lays it in the hands of a receiver. He's like, I have prepared these moments for you, like prepared in advance for you. Like that. I, I mean, he just he hits us in that moment, right in the hands with those moments, and the Spirit will nudge us. I want you to call a friend that you haven't talked to or a family member you haven't talked to in a long time. I want you to to give an encouraging word to that person who's struggling. I want you to invite a friend to church, that moment, those invitations, those moments that God gives. I want you to care for an aging parent. I want you to give a generous gift. I want you to cook a meal for that person or volunteer for that ministry or help a coworker move or lead a small group or pray with somebody who's struggling. or to go play with your kids. Spend time with your spouse. Invite that kid in the lunchroom that is sitting by themselves. Invite them to sit at the table. Reach out to a coworker that's lonely. Help, help that at the grocery store. Help the elderly woman get her get her cart back in, or pay for a single mom's groceries. Like in those moments, the Holy Spirit prepares us, these moments, these, these good deeds, these good works that God prepared for us to do. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and will prompt us because his spirit is productive. And the Holy Spirit leads us in those moments in the same way that Jesus led the disciples. When Jesus led the disciples, they woke up. they didn't get an, They didn't get like an agenda for the day. They're like, Jesus, what are we gonna do today? And they just followed Jesus. And where Jesus said to go, they went, and what Jesus said to do, they did, What Jesus said to say, they said. And so when we have the spirit of Christ in us, we're saying, where do you want us to go today, Jesus? What do you want us to do? The spirit lives in us. He will guide us. And if you fumble, if you drop the ball, it's okay. You're not cut from the team. You just get up and run back to the huddle and run the next play. Spirit dwells in us. And Jesus said, and remember, I'm with you each and every day until the end of the age. His presence is permanent. His presence is permanent. Um, I love football. Like, I understand football analogies. I'm learning soccer. I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. I'm learning soccer. I don't, I understand the point system. I understand where that, where that works. I was, um, I heard a, a comedian, a comedian, um, he was, from, he was from England, and he was talking about um, Americans and their football. And he's like, you guys say you don't like soccer because, um, because it's low scoring. He said, your football is low scoring too, you just make up numbers. <laughs> he's like, you realize 21 to 14 is three to two. So, um, so I understand the scoring of soccer. What I don't understand is the clock. They say 90 minutes, it's irrelevant. Because you get to the end of 90 minutes, two halves, 90 minutes, you get to the end, and it's just like time keeps going. And I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, the, I thought the match was over, I thought it was over, and then they were like, no, we've got more time, which is called um, adage or stoppage time, add, add bonus time, I don't know what it's called. Ask somebody who plays soccer. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out, and what they tell me is that the referee keeps the time. That the referee keeps the time, that the referee keeps up with how much time was spent you know, in celebration and in um, penalties and in um, faking injuries, like how much time was spent doing those things. And then that time is actually added to the end. The referee keeps the time. What Jesus tells us is that the father keeps the time, that the father keeps the time, when it comes to the future, the Father keeps the time. In Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus about his return and when he's going to come back to usher in his kingdom. In verse 36, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus said the Father keeps the time. When it comes to the, to the end, and remember up in, this, up in this passage, he says, I'll be with you until the end of the age. He's talking about the end, the consummation of time. He's talking about the end of, of, of time. He's talking about his return, and Jesus is saying, the Father keeps time. And so he promises, I'm returning, but we don't know when that day is. But I want to live in such a way where I'm ready for his return. I want to live in such a way where I'm, I'm living for his return and ready for his return. And just like Jesus came the first time, he's coming again. He will return again. And so we don't want to be unaware of this, and we don't want to be, we don't want to be consumed with the things of this world that we forget that Christ is returning. I want to live a, live a sort of life, and there's just a, kind of an urgency in that stoppage time, in that bonus time, in that extra time, in the added time. And we're living in those last days where we don't, we don't know how much time we have. Jesus said, The Father keeps the time. But I want to live in a way where, where I'm marked by eternity and the reality of eternity. And so Jesus said, Live on mission because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Um, How often do you think about the Roman Empire? (laughs) If you're uncomfortable that everybody else is laughing at something you don't understand, I get it. It is on TikTok. Um, It's this question where women were asking, their ladies were asking their husbands and their significant others how often they think of the Roman Empire, and they were shocked at how often men think of the Roman Empire. And some said every day, I don't know. That's not the question I want us to focus on. The question I would like to replace that with is, how often do you think of the return of Christ? I mean, I realize we could think of a kingdom that is over, a kingdom that is done. But how often do we, as followers of Jesus, think of the king who is returning? How often do we think? And if we think of that, just like Jesus said, I'm coming back. And if we, if we think of that, we will live in a certain way. We will live a certain way. But Jesus knows we can forget. It's why he, it's why he gathered his disciples together that night before he went to the cross. And he, he, he led them in a meal, a last meal together, which was a way that they would remember. He knew that those disciples would get so busy and so consumed, and they could get so wrapped up in the things of the world that they could forget. And so for 2,000 years, the church has partaken in a meal together called communion, the Lord's Supper. So I'd like for you to get the elements in, in your hands, and I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. I'll read a couple verses to you. Matthew tells us that while they were eating, For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, as they've gathered together, they've done what Jesus said. He said, remember me. Remember, because we can forget. And without, without the cross, there would be no empty tomb. And without the empty tomb, there would be no filling of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus gave his life on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us so that our sin could be forgiven. So that our guilt, our shame, our brokenness, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored, so that we could be reconciled with the holy God. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in us as followers of Jesus because we're good enough. We did not earn the Holy Spirit. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. And it's because of his righteousness in our lives that the Spirit of God dwells in us, has a place to dwell. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you can let this moment pass. Or our invitation, God's invitation, be that you begin to follow Jesus. And this can be the first thing you do as a follower of Jesus to remember the cross. And so I'm gonna invite you to open up that top layer and to get this wafer in your hands. And to spend a moment, and if there's any sin that you need to confess, any brokenness that you need to repent from, to return home, you can take a moment and confess. And now remember that his body was broken for you. offered up his life for you his body sacrificed so you could be forgiven he said do this in remembrance of me you can protect now we open up the cup You can almost see your reflection in the juice, a reminder that his blood was shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. But because his blood was shed, you've been washed clean. Just voice your prayer of thanksgiving. Give thanks to God. is the blood, the new covenant is blood shed for you You partake and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 26 Paul says as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes until he comes how long to see him to be with him He's coming again but until that day he's given us his presence the spirit of god lives in us so that we can live on mission together we are commissioned there is no such thing as a follower of jesus that's that's not a missionary like we are all on mission together we carry the hope of Jesus in our hearts. And I want to invite us. I wish we had an oar that everybody could get as you wrote. So when you're leaving today, there's going to, no, we're not handing out oars. But (laughs) um, but I do want to just even in a moment say, let this be a moment where we say, we're grabbing hold of the oars and we're rowing toward the Titanic together because what we get to be a part of is eternal. So let's pray together. Would you put a hand over your heart? Father, I thank you for a reminder as a church what you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill every heart in this room that belongs to you. And for those that don't yet know you, God, would you, would you let your love just so be on display? But for those that knew know you, God, I pray that you'd fill their hearts Would there be a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us see people as you see them and to help us love them as you love them. And God, I pray that through our lives, that an unbelieving world would find the love and the truth and the grace and the hope of Jesus and that we would be a church that makes disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples until all who you call your own know you, love you, and follow you. So may we be on mission with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. We'll see you back next week.